John. Hey, Marcy. How's it going? Oh, it's great. You know, just here still reliving what I think the last year in Rowanum was like. <laughs> Agreed. Hello, everyone, and welcome to the Pop Culture Theologians. My name is Marcy, and John is my fellow pop culture theologian. Um, welcome to the second part of Breaking Down Midsummer in our series of millennial women of horror. I'm excited about this. How about you, John? (laughs) You know, as usual, I'm terrified, but it's too early here on the West Coast for me to have an emotional reaction at the moment. (laughs) So John, why don't you introduce our listeners? If you're new around here, I doubt it. This is a part two, but still we like to be inclusive to who we are and where to find us. Of course. So welcome everyone to the Pop Culture Theologians. Um, Marcy and I are two academics who worship at the altar of pop culture and additionally, you know, like to find and pull little threads that we learned while we were in the university. Um, And unlike Josh or, you know, other cheaty, basically, doing their dissertation and writing all the things we like to write about things that apparently scare us half to death and find the academic and religious excellence in them. (laughs) That's a good way to put it. Uh, We are hosted by the Engage Gaze website. Our sister podcast, The Bible Bitches, can be found there. And then, John, if I just wanted to find you and all of the thoughts that come out of your head, where could I find you? (laughs) You can find me on all things social media at jerickson85. What about you, Marcy? You can find me on all things social media except Facebook because I am not a boomer. Um, <laughs> at Magdalena on Fire. I so, need to go to Facebook. You really do. I um, shout out to our first listener, our faithful listener, my brother, who maybe like eight months ago was like, "You know what you don't need in your life? Facebook." And I was like, "I'll try." And I, um, I really didn't think I'd last very long since I was a freshman in college when Facebook came out. Um, but I haven't missed it. It's not that I am now unaware that there are family members in my family that are pieces of shit, just that I don't have to engage with it. And I only engage with those that I love, admire, and respect. So it's been a very healing journey to like not have to literally hear the worst thoughts out of the folks that I can't avoid. And then, um, for family and right. Like that, those people from high school that you're like, I really don't care that you feel that way. Uh, Lindsay about, um, blue lives. So <laughs> yeah, it's like enough. Um, I, it sucks because I, you know, sadly, because I need it for my, <laughs> you need it for work. I, I, I don't, I know I, if I could get away, I will say there was, I had a friend that got rid of their, Facebook and then when they needed to like you know post things that were going on during corona no one knew what they were posting because people not all people have Twitter and Instagram and they're like what is this no of course you have um John is a council member and we're really proud of him for the city of West Hollywood so your constituents are on Facebook and there is a reason for you to have a professional Facebook profile and to share stuff while I am a communications specialist and expert 
expert, a strategic comms expert, and a racial equity expert, <laughs> consultant, learner, and student. I don't need it. So I don't want it. Um, <laughs> I don't need it. I am on everything else. Like it's not, I, I, there is literally no high horse here. I'm addicted to Twitter. I'm addicted to Instagram and my entire, uh, my entire mental health is based off of TikTok. So, um, so usually, you know, us, we start with the, what the fucks of the week and we kind of run through stories, about what what has happened over the last couple of weeks um, with just a little bit of snark because that's what runs through our blood. But John and I talked about it and we're not going to this week. We're actually gonna um, offer space for how horrific this week has been. Um, and for those of you who know us, um, there might be a little bit of confusion with that because obviously we had the rightful convictions uh, all three of them, uh, for George Floyd. Um, but literally simultaneously, and we're talking about within a hundred and something minutes, if I understand it correctly, we had the murder of Makia Davis. We've also got Adam Toledo. Um, we have, um, Christian Gonzalez. We have, uh, Dante Wright. We, it's just, it's too much. And so, um, there's no, there's no way to be snarky about this absolutely horrific systemic, um, annihilation of people of color that is happening. Um, and so we're going to hold space for it and, and not do a, what the fuck this week. Um, we would also like to a certain extent acknowledge again, uh, that through line, that thread that John mentioned that if you're paying attention with the pandemic, you're in the U S um, what does privilege look like? <laughs> it looks like a massive surplus of vaccine. While in India, uh, the pandemic is at its highest peak that it's seen worldwide. Um, the situation has gotten so bad that, that effectively yesterday they ran out of oxygen period, medical oxygen, which if any of you are not privileged enough um, to have ever had any medical issues, you know that um, oxygen is basic 101 for everything from pneumonia all the way through COVID. So um, again, just the ways in which there is enough medical oxygen worldwide and enough um, vaccines, at least worldwide, that are going unused and being hoarded right now to try to help. And that's not happening. So just a lot, John. It's just it's a lot it's heavy a lot. we can't even get people to take the vaccine i can't even right, get right we we live in a country where the vaccine has effectively become a political identity um and while i hold and respect space for communities of color who have been affected by our historical malpractice with vaccines i don't hold that space for um like white Karens on the West coast who think they can essential oil their way out of this. Um, so just, yeah, just, it's heavy. It's heavy. And I'm sorry, like, that's a really weird way to go into, um, this podcast, but that's actually not a weird way. That is what the resistance has to look like. It has to look like telling the truth. And so we don't have the snark for the world stories this week because there's nothing to be snarky about. They're really sad, but, but we do I- have snark. Exactly. One thing I do have to work for is for Midsummer, 
Um, I've actually thought about John a lot because y'all know from last episode, John's been very open that this um, series on women of horror is a gift of love and sacrifice to me because these really freaked John the fuck out. Um, And we covered in the first part, the slow burn of Midsummer, where technically we ended John right with um, the two mentors being thrown off. Now throwing themselves off a cliff and, um, and, you know, collective gasp for John. And it's just, we're about to go through what is effectively the last 45 minutes of the movie, because it is a slow burn to a very fast crash. And I just want to offer you, John, um, my support as we go through this. So why don't you walk us through solidarity? Yes, solidarity um, for this extremely heavy 45 minutes of a film uh, that I love. I love. So, to, like, so obviously, Danny has walked away from Christian. She's like, I don't want to talk now. They just saw the mentors jump off of the cliff, effectively starting the Midsummer Festival. Take it away, John. Well. <laughs> wow. Well, essentially what we have is we have uh, Josh, or as we like to call him, Cheaty, um, is sitting there in heaven on his computer. He's taking down all the notes. He's taking down uh, everything he saw, um, and he's taking it all in. Um, The pain of others uh, is his commodity to steal, and he wants to document and see it and write it all down so we can take it back and publish it into a paper and, and be done with it. And, and then in walks everyone's proverbial excuse to become a lesbian. Um, <laughs> Christian. <true>. Yeah. <laughs> it's funny. Cause I, um, we'll get to this, but uh, my husband and I disagree heavily on the role of Christian in this film. Um, so we'll get to it, but it's funny. Cause I, I feel similarly. I'm like, Christian is why no one would choose uh from a hetero perspective a white male um but yeah no josh is stealing um a reminder that a lot of the identities in this film are inversions of what they are so we've got josh who is this gorgeous black man but he's actually very representative of what whiteness does because he is the other coming into a very homogenous space to take and steal ancient um ancient knowledge for himself to then commodify it within this capitalistic system of, of selling, um, of selling antiquity as something to be discovered by, by white folks. Right. And we've talked about how strange it is to say this, but Josh is effectively a white person in this film. Um, so yeah, so Christian walks in and Christian's like, Hey, so I think I want to write my thesis on this place as well. Um, and, and this is a power shift momentarily, right? So now Christian's whiteness will trump Josh's blackness, which before did not matter in their power archy, in their power archy, in their power structure in the hierarchy. I like that word. Let's keep it. Powerarchy of their situatedness in this, in this place, uh, in this um, Swedish village. Um, but again, we talked about the Karen hierarchy last time. Um, this is Christian effectively flicking Josh down a bit. And then Christian kind of gaslights Josh about it. And he's like, your work isn't even about this entirely. Like you're going to other places too. 
Um, and it's funny because a lot of us that have done work in the academy recognize this. Like I actually had this exact thing, exact thing happen um, right after I turned in my dissertation proposal um, and my scope of work, right? Uh, someone that I knew very, very well in our program uh, was like, that's what I want to write about as well. And it's like, hey, we've been at this um, we've been here for our master's and our PhD together for six years. How funny that today's the day you decide to say that when that has literally never, ever been what you have written about. So I really feel for Josh in this moment because I actually have lived it. And it's, it's awful because you have to make a decision to either stick by your guns and be like, this is my work. And um, that's not to say that two people can't write about the same thing, but this is a very specific type of stealing. academic. It's like, it's like, everyone writing it's like yeah you can write about like the same little village but it's like where what are you gonna say like i don't know i can't even remember half of these people's names because they're all swedish but like you're gonna write about like right different color of their hair and get into an argument about the hue of red right Right. So, so it's just kind of like that. And, and again, we see him gaslight, we see Christian gaslight Josh the same way he's gaslit Danny in this film. Right. And Josh is like, you're just fucking lazy and you're unethical and you're sad. And this is ridiculous. And then Christian does this thing, which I have a hundred percent seen happen across the board in activist space where he's like, well, why don't we co-collaborate? And it's like, because this isn't your work. It isn't your work. Do I know this person? Um, well, I'm saying for this co-collaborate thing, uh, there's a lot of like white allies that will co-opt black and brown spaces and be like, let's co-collaborate. Let's, I'm an ally, let me come in. And it's like, or you could just sit down. The The work's already being done, right? Yeah. Um, so, so Josh knows that co-collaborating with Christian is to a certain extent like, I mean, that's, that's like the death keel for his writing. Like all of a sudden it will be, it will be white led, even if it isn't. And, um, and it's interesting. Cause like, there's a part of me that's like, that's what you get for stealing from a community um, because stealing begets stealing. Right. Um, but it's still just like a really interesting scene if you've been in the Academy. Um, and then Josh goes to complain to Pele. Right. Um, and Pele is like, well, he asked me first. And I said, yes. Um, and even then, like, I need to talk to the elders, we, not the elders, the mentors, right? Uh, because we'll have to figure out even what you're allowed to study. Um, or say. Or say, or document, or anything like that, which we know historically colonization doesn't give a shit what you say. Um, folks are allowed to do not do. Um, there was, like, a really interesting thread on... Um, Twitter a couple of weeks ago about um, like Christians co-opting satyrs and how how inappropriate that is and like um, how much like the Jewish community has tried to explain why the appreciation for something doesn't mean you get to perform it and um, so, so I, it's just again the threads here run into our daily lives everywhere. Um. So we go back to Pele and he, um, he, he 
speaks to to Danny like he runs into Danny and she's still kind of freaking out from yesterday like any normal person would everyone else is like how do I get my dissertation done yeah and and then all the like Swedish people are like "Mm, just another day just like I'm making bread and she's like people jumped off a cliff yesterday <laughs> and then you smash one of their faces with a- right right like we're just all gonna pretend this is normal like this is normal and um I think this actually really ties well to the um, sustained trauma that a lot like all of us are living through right now which is there comes a point where and it's a different point for everyone where your body takes over and stops processing the trauma because it's too much, right? Well, Danny hasn't reached that point yet. So she's looking around. She's like, mm-hmm. hello, <laughs> right? But Pelly is like, you know, I'm really excited you've come. And um, I just, I want you to know something like, I know you didn't want to talk about it when we were back in nondescript Northeastern University place, but he lost his parents in a fire and he was an orphan as well. Right. And he had already shared that a little bit with her and he insists that he understands, but also that he, he wants her to listen to something when he lost his family, when he lost his parents, he didn't have a chance to feel that loss because he had this family here, right. In, in the midsummer village, um, Disney World, if you please. He had this family. It's a small right? world. So it's, it's a, a small, small world theme. That's actually what we're going to call this town from from here on out. It's Nothing is creepier than the Midsummer Village. Maybe the only thing that could compete is actually sitting through it's a I small I honestly world. think it is in the ride. It's like it is it is. There is a maypole in in <laughs> the small world, 100 percent But um Pele's like, I didn't I didn't have to feel what you felt, which is having no one to hold space no one to hold that pain that she felt because he's like because look around like I have this real family and and like everything here is communal everything and that's what everyone deserves um and then he kind of there's this like little like really like weird little shift to like he's definitely hitting on her too right and then um Danny kind of picks up on that and she's like um I'm with Christian and honestly girl we know (laughs) <laughs> yeah we know stop re- first of all stop reminding us yeah like we know we 100 know and Pelly acknowledges it but then and i think this is a pivotal scene this is a really important scene actually yeah he says but do you feel held by christian mm-hmm. does he feel like home and danny doesn't respond to this but her face does her face does because those two questions land so hard for Danny because no, he doesn't feel like home. Right. We actually go back to that scene of her curled up in the bed, right. With the John bear painting on top of the bed, she was alone. And it's really interesting how Pele like allows Danny to like be vulnerable. Whereas this one minute where to like really truly be vulnerable and and Christian could never do that. No, he can't. Right? Um, he doesn't feel like home, and he doesn't hold her, and that's a physical and also a psychological holding, right? Um, and I think for for most of us who again, I, I do understand this is a privilege. Most of us have that one friend who 
like rain or shine, um, goodbye Earl, that is how they feel. Like you need to bury a body, they'll bury a body. You need them to hold space for the dumbest fight you've ever had with like a partner. They will hold space for it. You need to sob your eyeballs out because you went through something. They will do it. You accidentally shit your pants while on ayahuasca. They will like hold it. Right. Like, and I think like that is what he's getting at, which is you may have a person, but you don't have a person. Um, yeah, I think it's no, just, a we don't like, have a Christina to your Meredith. Eggs, eggs. You don't have a John to your Marcy. Come Aww. on. Aww. <laughs> All right. So we go back. The bodies of the mentors are being burned with which biblically ashes to ashes. We're creating fertile soil. I think fertility is obviously a big part of the midsummer um, festival. But Danny's having trouble sleeping, right? She keeps asking Josh for sleeping pills. Um I think, I think this is symbolic of her not wanting to wake up, uh, her not wanting to be cognizant and awake and present to what is happening around her. And like what is happening around her isn't just the Midsummer Festival. The Midsummer Festival is this thing that is symbolic of this character. It's not symbolic. It's, I mean, it's happening in the film, but, um, she doesn't want to wake up to the pain and loss and kind of shitty situation that she finds herself in, um, both in this horror film and in her relationship and in the loss of her parents. So then what happens? Let's talk about um, <laughs> voodoo dolls. Yeah. So it's really interesting, though, too, because, right, you know, the dream that she has <laughs> is, is terrifying. Um, and, you know, when it comes down to it, you know, you really see this like the tone of this whole movie changes like in this in this like section of the film like you're like okay shit's about to get real right, right. it um, starts moving really quickly really really fast so we see maja wakes up and she puts a do like a voodoo doll token talisman underneath christian's bed Obviously, that's not going to bode well for him. Like we all, if you watch movies enough, you're like, oh, this this don't look good. They're not like giving him like a free like sandwich at the Wendy's. Like they're like, like he's going to find it. You know, this is like a total um, reversal of force of pregnancy and women. And, you know, it goes back to their old Danish, you know, Swedish supernatural origin stories that I think we really are keyed into. And here we have a new day and a new festival. Yeah. Right. And I, I do want to touch on the fact that like, I think here is where um, this reversal of, of roles is, is super important. So uh, we've talked about this, I think, on some of the other things that we have analyzed and, and been critical on, but uh, the story of Mary, right? The, the Virgin Mary uh, becoming pregnant by by no consent of her own and for the Catholics were like, she consented. No, she didn't. That's not how this works. Um, that's not how, uh, a first off, a child cannot consent. And two, uh, the Magnificat is not, um, uh, it, it just, it doesn't work. Uh, here we have Christian to a certain extent. This is the beginning of Christian's journey in this film. Um, and his journey as similar to Josh being a, a white man in a black body in this film, Christian's about to become what is um, 
from a storytelling perspective, the um, the taken woman in this in this film. Yeah. So this token and talisman is foreboding of um, Christian's about to lose agency and consent over his body and his ability to say yes or no to pregnancy. Uh, that's super, super important because we've really never really seen that in film and we've definitely never seen it in horror and we haven't seen it in one of these kind of fable stories that that holds cash in our kind of collective. So um, so I think more to come on that, but that token talisman is no different than, you know, the angel showing up to Mary and being like, you, you're going to get pregnant. Um, and Christian being like, okay, because we're going to get moments of an, oh, okay, which we can compare to the Magnificat to Mary's, what, what Christian theologians today are like, it was her enthusiastic. Yes. And it's like, there's no enthusiastic. Yeah. Yes. For a child. Never. And also there's no enthusiastic. Yes. When the person asking something is God. Yeah. Cause you, how do you say no to God? How do you how do you say no to God? Like, um, so super it's important. Old Testament, well, it's New Testament God, but like you know what I mean. But it's just like, it's crazy. It's, it is. It is really important. These reversal of roles um, that Ari Aster has done are super, super, super important. And it's really fascinating, right? Because like, how many times have you and I heard the story of like, you know, a man wants his wife to have the baby or the you know go through the pregnancy, and she's like, I don't think so. Right. It's her body. Right. I mean, like, our most critical kind of analysis. And if you haven't listened to um, we did a three part series on the Hunger Games was that Katniss was very clear. She didn't want children for three whole fucking films. Well, right. Literally. Uh, three. I want to bring three, people into this horrific universe. Right. And 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 how kind of disappointing it was at that end for her entire kind of arc to end up with her saying yes to a, to something that she had been very clear was not something she wanted and i know people will argue well she she wanted it once there was healing and the world was safe the world was not safe there was not healing and also it is very clear in that book that it is by request of PETA, right so okay so new day more festival pele is putting putting the feelers out with Danny. So, so what happens? New day. So Pele's gardening, which says very metaphorical. Right. Um, Real soil again. He's taught till that soil girl. Um, (laughs) And he lets them know, he lets Christian and Josh know that they can study together, but they can't use anyone's names and um, they cannot touch the sacred texts or share them. And this is really critical because that book is something like Josh is like obsessed with already, but Josh found um, and finds a ruin under that, that love ruin, the token under Christian's bed. Yep. And, and he doesn't tell, and he asks Pelly about it, but he doesn't really um, share what with him, what he's found just kind of now competing, you know, with Christian, he can't yeah. really so tell him. He doesn't tell Christian. And this is what happens, right? When people start competing um, academically, but also this is what happens when deceit becomes a thread that is binding you together. A lot could have been prevented 
if Josh, after asking Pele what the love rune, love token thing is, and Pele explains it means that Maha has set her eyes on Christian and would like to bed him, and this is part of the ceremony, if all of that had been shared, not just with Christian, but also with Danny, we would have a very different film. But the darkness of this competitiveness means that Josh is like, I'm not going to fucking tell him. I'm not going to tell him shit. Pele's clearly not going to tell him, right? Because Pele is a part of this moving thing that is the festival. Um, Right. And then we hear like a really maniacal screaming. Uh, And uh, talk to me about this Matt Gates um, cameo in the film. <laughs> um, so it's really interesting because you're like, you wonder where Mark's been going the entire time. And so he's definitely the Matt Gates of this group. But Mark, um, you hear this wailing, this screaming of a man. And Mark was peeing on their ancestral tree, which is just like, oh, shit. Like, this is not going to be good. Why Why would it be bad to pee on that tree, Marcy? Uh, it's the ancestral tree. And while... The giving I, tree? Right. And while I don't have a relationship with this tree, the whole community does. And Mark's just pissing on it. Because that's uh, where all their ancestors and, like, all their ashes are. Yes, it is, it is the equivalent of... Um, building a nation on an Indian burial ground. Real dumb, real dumb. Uh, And then we have confirmation that uh, Simon has somehow left the building and left Connie behind. You'll remember that Simon and Connie came with Ingmar, Pele's brother. Um, Again, those are the two people he fished. Um, So everyone's screaming at Mark. Connie's like, where's Simon? Pele's trying to like protect Mark from getting killed because it's apparently a possibility if you piss on the ancestral tree. And Danny's taking it all in and she's like, I don't get it. Why would Simon leave without Connie? Like, like I don't get it. And like Christian being the the complete like piece of shit that he is, is like, I don't know, maybe he's a dick. I don't know, whatever. Ignores her and literally continues to do field research asking people about communal practices. Not caring about Mark, who is going to be... Die. Do die. Not caring about the Connie and Simon situation, which, again, anyone with half a brain cell would be like, something's not right here. Simon didn't leave. Right. And not caring about Danny being like, something's not right here. So when he leaves her to do his field work, Danny's invited to bake with the women. And this is the first instance we see of Danny being brought into the community. Um, she's given the first article of clothing to change into. So this is the first assimilation into the community. And they're making moon tarts. Moon tarts are historically um, uh, something that is eaten, moon tarts, lemon tarts, um, lemon cakes are eaten as symbols of fertility in a lot of pagan rituals. They are not pop tarts. No, I don't think pop tarts work the same way, but if if you would like, right. If you would like to bake your own pop tart and drop a pube in it, I'm sure it'll work for the serum. Okay. Yeah. I I I forgot about that. I just got shivers down my spine. 
Right. So the women, when they're baking, keep telling her she's beautiful and they surround her with all these compliments and admiration. And it's like the first time she's kind of felt that support and kindness in a long time. Right. Um, but then Josh is, is with one of the mentors looking at the writing and text. Right. Yeah. And talk to me about this scene and how we found out about who writes these texts. Cause I think this is one of the really strange scenes in this film that like, I still, I'm like, I understand it just from a, this is why you're bringing in new blood perspective, but it's just such a creepy scene. Yeah. So if we all remember, there's like segue to um, a malformed boy um, earlier in the film. We don't really, it's not given much context. And so essentially um, who gets to decide what gets added um is the malformed boy um is given primacy because his differences allow him to be open to knowledge and knowingly different you know the deconstruction of ableism and for our understanding of what really knowledge is or who can possess it and so we clearly are starting to get a lot of like big warning flags about this boy well we all know um and after the film he's malformed because of incest um and we see what really you know the the role the community gives him to pass down this knowledge through the pictures and again just like josh being the typical ass hat he is asks for the pictures and he's been told multiple times and it's like dude the answer is no yeah yeah so super interesting um both the fact that we kind of have an understanding now of why they're bringing in new blood and new people and these fertility rituals and whatnot um my guess this is just an inference in the film is that mark really is off having sex with a, with a bunch of women because they need new sperm right um during bef- like before this whole tree thing and before quite a bit quite a few things happen um and yet this this boy who's completely malformed and whatever because of the communal incest that probably is still a problem because how many people can you learn a midsummer it only happens every seven years right something like that or even if it's once a year um the the community doesn't shun this child the community gives this child primacy of knowledge right um he's the gatekeeper. He's the writer of these things. Um, They are the ones who have to make sense of what is being written by him and what is being shared by him. And, and we, you know, we don't know the breakdown of what that means, how it happens. Um, But again, a deconstruction of ableism and our understanding of who and what knowledge is and how it is handed down, interpreted, et cetera. Um, we get this like moment where Josh is like, can I take pictures? Right. And he takes out his phone and they're like, fuck man, we told you no. Literally. We've like told you no a million times. So getting back to Mark, like I said, Mark's out there living his worst life. I think he's impregnating every single woman who like bats half an eyelash at him. Um, But he's a little confused because he like, he's just, he feels out of place. He's not having the same experience that, Danny, Josh, and Christian are. Um, they clearly everyone hates him after he pissed on the ancestral tree. So now no one wants to talk to him. And then this girl comes up and is like, um, she makes like eye contact with him and she's like, come here, let's go this way. Um, and and like 
we end up losing work. Um, and this is all during this lunch, which I'm going to call the menstruation lunch. <laughs> it's, it's, um, it's, it's a, it's a hell of a scene because it's so obvious what's happening to anyone watching. So um, they sit down for this lunch uh, after the ancestral peeing tree incident. Um, and everyone gets like this drink and these little cordial cups. And um, those always make me think of Anne and Diana and Anne of Green Gables getting drunk. And all of them are yellow except for the drink in front of Christian which is like pink and like dude is so dense. He doesn't think like, why is my cup pink? Granted to be fair, John, I don't know about you, but if my, if my bougie drink was a different color, my first thought is not that there is blood in it. It's not usually it's not, but here's where the bridge should happen. Right. Um, so Christian and Danny get into a bit of a tit for tat. Right. Um, because Danny's like still stewing on Simon leaving Connie. She's like, I could see you doing that. And like Christian hasn't heard her ever really take a bite at him. Right. And he's kind of like shocked. Right. And instead of even addressing the fact that she literally kind of just called him a piece of shit, uh, he turns to Josh to keep talking about the research they've been doing, takes a drink from the pink drink and finds a pubic hair when he takes a bite of his moon pie and Mark is like, that's a pube bro. Cause of course, like, you know, the Matt Gates of this film would be, it's like a pube. You would, you know? Um, And that's when the woman comes over and is like, let's go Mark. Come on, let's go. And Mark's like, Oh, I'm going to go have sex (laughs) and goodbye Mark. (laughs) Um, Bye Mark. Um, bye. And again, reversal of roles, the power in this film, the ones who are praying really are the women, right? Even Pele is in service of this like female centric community. I feel like. Well, um, women are the gatekeepers to most religions. Not gatekeepers. Women are the knowledge holders, power. Yeah, knowledge holders. You um, know, the, yes. The Historically. Yes. Historically, no, when it comes to who holds the power in religions, not women, from a from a gatekeeping perspective. When it comes to the mythology of most religious takes are, yes, like um, it was not a man who gave birth to the son of God and a God himself. It was a woman, right? Um fundamentally that is extremely important it was eve who had the audacity to want to know things right i'm obviously from a judeo-christian perspective um so yeah but um but from a fundamentally patriarchal society critique um the women here are luring the men in uh which is very different from for most horror films and most horror films, when you do have women praying, it's, um, it's a critique of um, like massive sexuality versus this is not actually a critique of sexuality. Um, this is a critique of how easy um, men are to manipulate because of their obsession with and need to control women right so um 
so yeah, bye, Merc. Merc goes off with a redhead, um, not to be seen again in his full form uh, for a bit, yeah. ever. <laughs> Bye-bye. Bye. Okay, so one thing I think is important is Josh is starting to make sense of some of the runes. So a hashtag, um, yes, Josh. So Josh is a trained, um, a trained scholar who can make sense of the patterns and runes. He has a history in it. And so he's starting to actually understand some of the stuff that's on the walls, on the in their writings, like painted onto the walls. And we can tell that he's starting to be a little anxious about it, right? And that night, Danny asks for another sleeping pill and he's like, sure. And then he sneaks out because he wants to go grab pictures of the sacred writings he's been told not to touch and then probably honest to God bounce. I feel like Josh is... is acutely aware that they may have walked into something they shouldn't have walked in, but he's not smart enough to know that he should run, not walk. He first has to, has to get what he came to get. And what happens when he does that? Oh boy. So, you know, he, it's just so interesting, right? Because Josh is trying to get to the secret, right? And by sneaking out and viewing these sacred writings and, like literally it's like typical man right because like don't don't touch it don't do it typical white white colonizer right it makes a white colonizer i mean it's like what's that experiment where they put like uh marshmallows in front of people that if you have if you don't touch the one marshmallow you'll get a second i only know that experience that experiment from five-year engagement but it's still it's still effective uh it's it's that psychological um it's that psychological foundation of we will take something of less value if it comes of less value or that could even potentially harm us if it is a quicker high, a quicker fix. So instead of taking the time to study the community, get to know them, weave himself into it, which I would argue that's actually not what's happening, but I can see how someone would interpret it that way. He's like, I'm just going to go take pictures of them. I'm going to take pictures of the writings. I don't care. Uh, these people don't matter. They're beneath me. I'm, you know, I'm an academic. I deserve, I, I deserve to do this. And then I have more power and agency to understand the importance of it than these people to whom it belongs. Um, so he's in there with his iPhone taking pictures of these writings. And what he doesn't see is that Mark walks in yeah. behind him. Something's wrong with Mark. Yeah, well, his dick is out. <laughs> Shocker. Shocker. Um, but as he gets close, we have a real Texas Chainsaw Massacre mer- like moment. His face is on his face. But it's not his face in the sense that like it's been peeled off his face and put back on there like a mask. Yeah, it's so fucked up. It's so creepy. And, and Josh is like, oh, shit. But before he has time to even be like, Mark. Mark, now he's hit by a mentor on the head, and now we say goodbye to Josh. Goodbye, Josh. So, bye, Mark. Bye, Josh. So, um, we we actually never really find out where um, we're like we we are told at some point that Connie's gone to look for Simon. So now we've got four folks out. We've got Simon, Connie, Mark, and Josh out. Uh, Christian and Danny are the last ones left. Um, yeah. Um, 
And so when they wake up, they are confronted by some of the mentors with which like, they're like the book of Rudy Rami, whatever that means, has <laughs> gone missing. And clearly both Mark and Josh are missing. So like, it's a beautiful setup community, beautiful setup. Because yeah. like, obviously this is to build an explanation for why bodies keep disappearing. Um, what's funny is Christian does what we would expect Christian to do instead of being really worried that like, hey, of the six of us that got here, now there's only two of us. And there's like really thin explanations for where everyone's gone. He's like, of course, Josh, I, we, we barely knew him. And of course he took it. And we would never want you to think that we are a part of this. Like, honest to God, just washes his hands clean of it. Like, I mean, cleaner than the Republicans who participated in the insurrection. And then were like, I've never even heard of the insurrection. Just like a really funny moment of just like, it, you almost get anxious laughter because Josh is like, we didn't even know him. It's like, you arrived with him. You're sh- you were co- co-collaborating on the dissertation, right? Mm-hmm. And then Danny's told that she's going to spend some time with the women today. And, the, and then Christian's told that the mentor would like to speak to him. Yep. And I think Christian thinks that he's about to get his ass handed to him, which is not what happens. But he does go. And Danny does go to be with the women. And so this is a transition where... I would say that both Danny and Christian are no longer in control of the narrative at all. But yeah, it's they're really finally fun. separated in a way. Separated, but also at the mercy and kindness and cruelty of the community. Like they now they don't stand a chance. Whatever is about to happen is about to happen. And I feel like Christian becomes increasingly more aware of it quicker than Danny does. Um, but again, Danny is the ultimate goal in catching this film, not Christian. So, um, so it's Maypole time, which makes sense, right? That's what this whole movie is about. Uh, Skull. So, I, this I, this is the scene that gets played a lot in the trailer and whatnot, which is Danny dancing around a maypole. She takes some dandelion tea, and it's like turn, turn, turn time. Uh, it's all the women. Let me get turned up, Danny. Turned up. It's all the women. They're supposed to all dance around the maypole after drinking this clearly um, mind-altering substance dandelion tea. Um, you even have a scene where she's about to start dancing and she looks down at her feet and the grass is going through her, her feet again. Right? So we know that she's on shit. Right? So Christian, on the other hand, thinks he's going to be interrogated by the mentors. Instead, um, that leader of the the group, the one who opened the Midsummer celebration, the Catherine, the Catherine, the Helen Mirren of this strange little place, <laughs> is like Maha wants to meet with you. And I call her Maja. It's Maha, I think. I like Maja. You want to go with Maja? I'll go with Maja, even though I'm pretty sure it's Maha. <laughs> <laughs> but um he, when she's like she wants to meet with you he he's like i did find her pube in my cake and i'm like that's your response so like dumb. that my response when some i'd be like you know what i think it's time zanny and i leave thank you for thank you for your- the weird couple of days right. i got it. 
I, I just, I gotta go. I yeah, it's go. really weird. Like, there are, I was, like, in this film, like, not just thinking of the times I would leave. <laughs> yeah, like, I know. But, like, what the hell? Yeah, no, no, no. It's just, it's bananas. Um, just bananas. And so he just kind of walks off and is like, oh, okay. So this, like, just got her period girl who fed me a pube and her blood wants to have sex with me. He is confused, right? So he goes and he sits and he's watching Danny dance through the Maypole. Um, Maha is dancing, but she kind of just exits the dancing. The whole point is last dancer standing is the May queen. Christian's watching. He's confused. He's offered the same tea that Danny got, but he's like really explicit that he doesn't want it. Right. Um, He doesn't want it. Um, And he's like tired but also i think starting to get the weight of how not okay everything that's happening is um so the dancing for danny is super dizzying she's high she's kind of confused but she keeps knocking people off because she dances terribly um it's the whiteness in her and um and she wins even almost by accident because she knocks down this girl with whom she is speaking Swedish now because she's so high that she's like, am I speaking Swedish? And everyone's like, yes. And it's like um, a, a kind of one of those like dizzying scenes where the, the shots of going round and round along with the kind of dizziness of going back and forth. Um, when she wins, Pele kisses her. And as she's going through the crowd, she sees her mom weave her way in and out of this crowd. And this is actually what I would say is the ball that gets this final scene rolling. Like, yep. uh, and so they're about to, they, they crown her the May Queen. They put all these flowers on her. And you'll see that for the next, like, for this closing scene, there's the amount of flowers here. that she's wearing continues to increase all the way up until the final shot. So Danny's high. But she's kind of like in a in a daze that she's won the May Queen. Christian has eye, but he's really uncomfortable. And there is a scene where he is literally trying to whatever the equivalent of I fuck is, but to I inform. He's trying to I inform her that there is something really, really not right going on right now. Right? Um, he, like he's freaking out. Um, he sees Maha leave the celebration, um, and he's clearly sick and not feeling good the um the folks let them know that danny now that she's the may queen and she's gone through this whole thing and she's being drenched in flowers has to go bless the crops and christian is going to go elsewhere and by elsewhere it's maha and the women are laying down flower petals on the floor and they bring the flower petals all the way to christian and he for some reason i think it's because he's under the influence at this point follows the petals to the building where he is being led to while Danny is now blessing the crops. Again, they've been separated. And what happens in this uh, once once Christian follows the petals? Oh, well, um, he is shaking and now dressed in traditional clothing um, and appears to be prepped for some, you know, ritual, which if you've been following along, listeners um relates to vitality um so 
the what we have going on here is an inverse of female power and fertility and body autonomy and consent. So he walks into the room of all naked women singing with Maja on the floor. And essentially, this is a fertility ritual and it started. But the real question is, is does he have a choice? Um, he takes her and suddenly the singing changes, as does the involvement of the other women. Um, they sing with them loudly and even the climaxing is communal. Um, as is the rape of Christians. So it's not just one individual raping Christian, it's the whole female community in this way. And Christian's faith um, in this scene, as Marcy has pointed out in her notes, deserves an Oscar, um, especially when the mentor pushes him to help him thrust. Um, I think that this scene, so this is where Brent and I disagree. Like um, Brent, so Brent, I don't disagree that this scene is a rape scene. There are critics who say it is not because he kind of goes into it willingly. He, he, he's under the influence. He is not there willingly, um, period. I, as much as I hate Christian, um, this is actually an inversion of the rape of the Sabine women. Um, Christian is not a willing participant in any point during this and people are like well he kisses her yes he is under the influence there are 20 women in this room uh he is on drugs it's a it's a no it's just a no but it is also one of the funniest scenes i have ever seen in a horror film and when i say funny i mean that from the perspective of the anxious laughter that invaded movie theaters during this scene because it inverts the naked body in a way in which it's not sexual at all even though everything that's happening in this scene is sexual because the women that are in that room are of all ages shapes body sizes um and they are all naked and they're all humming and singing and moaning and, and groaning and gyrating together with the one woman who is raping Christian. Um, and it is just a, it's, it's a wild scene to watch. And, and I think you can hold space for simultaneously being like Christian as an archetype of masculinity and toxic masculinity fuck him, right? Christian, as a as a human character in this narrative, in this scene, you should feel horrifically like, ugh, for him watching this scene because he can't, he can't get out, he can't leave, he has no agency over his body, he's, he's in what is effectively a group rape um, situation, um with zero framing for anything right so the singing doesn't make sense to him the ritual doesn't make sense to him um how he got there doesn't make sense to him um and we know that the purpose of this is impregnation and and, and rape because there is like in a lot of parts of this film uh, a moment where for some reason again we get the frame of the of the malformed child, right? So a reminder that this is a strategic decision the community's made to yeah. again to 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 rape him and to use his seed, um, an inversion of traditional um, and I hate the fact that we're about to say this of traditional use of rape in in films, which is usually the rape of women to progress a plot point. Here, the rape of Christian is used to progress the plot points for Danny. Um, and then 
who watches this? What do you mean? Well, Danny finishes her ritual. And right. So the the crop the crop blessings. The crop blessings. And she hears this grunting and she goes and sees the whole thing through the keyhole. So she never walks in, which I always think is such an interesting um, decision by Ari Aster. Because that is actually here, I'll be honest, that is how we know that Ari Aster is not a woman. Because let me tell you what, if I hear those noises <laughs> and I walk over and, and I look through a keyhole and there are like... <laughs> 15 women ranging from ages 16 to 99 naked. And my boyfriend is having sex with a 15 year old on the floor. I am going to open that door. I'm going to open that door. And I think, I think there's a part of that that is a a gender boundary where um, for Ari Aster, it's enough for her to see it because the rape is a plot point mover. Um, and women have known this for as long as film has existed. Rape is used oftentimes to move a male character in a certain direction, right? Or to move a female character in a certain direction. Here, we need Danny to officially s- sever ties with Christian. What I think I struggle with, and you haven't heard me critique anything in the film, is that doesn't matter how high I am, doesn't matter how angry I am, doesn't matter how Hispanic I am, the whitest of white women, we're going to open that fucking door. Mm-hmm. We're not just going to look through the keyhole and be like, okay, time to weep now. Like, I feel like that diminishes a bit of Danny's agency. I will, I will give a little bit of leeway to she's just so high on that dandelion thing that it just hits her like a rush of grief. And the women, the women knew exactly what to do, which is the second she starts to grieve, maybe she would have opened the door. They all come over, they hold her, they whisk her away into the most iconic scene in this entire film, which is they whisk her away to the communal building. And they, she collapses on the floor, the shock of what she just saw, like taking over her body. And in a parallel scene to Christian's rape, they give her life. So they cry her cries. They, they moan her moans of grief, right? They, they do it all until it turns into somatic communal breathing and she's able to kind of pull herself together. But it is this communal grief um which is what she had needed from the moment she lost her parents right and her sister she needed they could have all avoided sweden right if if we understood ourselves in our own situatedness as americans in our very cold um white evangelical understanding of community which is none um yeah if she had been held and seen and supported as pele said um, this wouldn't have worked. She would have been, she would have seen through it and been like, yeah, we should leave. Like we, we should go. Um, but the trauma of what she's lived, the trauma of Christian's gaslighting and, and, and relationship with her allows for this moment to happen. I think. That, uh, I think that her cries and she lets it all out. Because essentially then Christian, you know, uh, runs out of the ritual naked once he can. Um, 
he literally has nowhere to go, but he's hearing Danny's what's going on. And as he's running, he sees, welcome back, Josh. Um, and he sees Josh's foot planted in the garden and he runs into the shed only to find Connie, Mark, Josh, and Simon completely mutilated. Yep. And I think he runs out naked is, is, is again, very symbolic of using the male form naked in the way that women naked forms are used. Right. Yeah. There's a lot of male nudity in this film. There is. is, That is usually not the case for many films. Like remember like seeing a dick in a film is so uncommon compared to seeing like, you know, a full woman's body. Right. Um, But yeah, Mark, Connie, Josh, and Simon are not alive. We knew that, but we get like a very flowery confirmation because they're in all these weird um, butchered positions with like flowers in their eyes and flowers on their nipples. And it's like, Um, and before he has time to prop. So I think he, so to Christian's credit, I think the second he is able to really comprehend what is happening in the rape room, he runs out, right? He is cognizant that something is very, very wrong, which I have said now for like the last like 20 minutes. He is cognizant when he runs into the shed that they are fucked. He doesn't even have time to process it because when he turns around, they blow some neurotoxin in his face. And similar to Josh and Mark and Connie and Simon, it's kind of a goodbye Christian moment. But not yet. Yeah. These last 10 minutes of the film are a mind-blowing experience. So tell me what happens when Christian, I guess we would use the word wakes up. Yeah, so he's awoken, um, but he can't speak or move. The neurotoxin has completely paralyzed him. Um, And so Danny is on the stage engulfed in flowers. um, And essentially we find out what we've been looking and wanting to find out and all the pieces come together. So... Um, nine human lives have to be offered for this ceremony. Um, Danny is despondent, but nine in all, four from community, two mentors, two not. Right. So the two elders count, the two that jumped off count, and then the two others who have volunteered, right? Yep. Um, Four from Simon, Connie, Mark, and Josh. And then the May Queen, Danny, will choose another. Um, So... Ingmar will be sacrificed. Anyone who brought someone other than Pele who brought new blood and the queen. So I think um, Pele would have ended up being sacrificed if let's say Connie had been chosen queen, right? Yes. Um, yes the way that was. I understand this scene, which also lets us know that there was one more person who brought people in or was supposed to bring people in. So these two dudes are the yep. volunteers, which my guess is then the second you volunteer to go fish for people, you have volunteered to potentially be in the sacrifice unless you nail the male queen, the May queen. Yep. Yep. And then so a name is chosen from the community and Danny must decide if it is the person, an older gentleman or Christian. Um, and Marcy, I'm going to let you have this part. For sure. Let's not gloss over the fact that they literally have like a carnival cruise ship bingo thing with everyone's name in it to pull out the name of the person. Yeah, I was so nice. laughing over this because I was just kind of like, huh? Okay. Where did they get that? Where'd you get what? Is it because the carnival cruise ships are not working right now? Like, how'd you get it? Um, right. So Danny 
is present. So Danny is now completely covered in flowers. All we see is her face, right? Um, Christian's in a wheelchair, <laughs> staring at her, <laughs> taking it all in. Imagine knowing exactly what's happening, hearing it all. And you look at your person or the person you consider your person, right? And she's staring at you. And it's interesting because this is where my husband, Brent, and I disagree. Um, here, he's like, she's murdering him for cheating. And um, I think I think that the community has taken advantage of the situation with making Danny assume that what she saw, the rape of Christian, was actually just Christian stepping out on her and not caring about her. I would argue that Danny's decision is much larger than just about the rape of Christian. It is his overall failure from the moment her family passed away, probably before that, but fundamentally it was who he was in her life from the moment that she needed something from him and wasn't just an offering to him. Right. Um, so for Danny, her face is just really despondent, but it's, it, it, we don't get a, we don't get a moment where she's like Christian. We literally get a moment where he's being wheeled out to the yellow. They all know, they understand. Right. So we understand that it was, it was an easy choice. Right. Um, And, and this is where we're, you know, for some folks watching, they're like, she's literally punishing him. And she doesn't even know that like he had nothing to do with what happened. And it's like, no, no, no. She has chosen liberation and freedom from not only Christian, but everything he stands for. But this is where people try to apologize for the man to be like, no, 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 he didn't mean to do well, it. Well, I think, I think two things can be true. I can, I, I think that Christian is a victim of this community, but Christian, the archetype that we are critiquing and Christian, the overarching human that Danny knows, easy to kill, easy to choose. She's like, I don't know that man over there, but he cannot be worse than this person I have lived with for the past year. They've been together for like four years, right? Four or five years. Um, and I think that is a condemnation of who Christian is. It's not just, it's not just the, uh, the rape slash her assumed cheating. It's that he as a person is easily sacrificable compared to an absolute stranger for her. She feels nothing towards him other than I don't, he, sh he doesn't deserve to live versus anyone else. So Christian is brought in to the white, to the white, to the yellow temple inside of a bear carcass. We see the men in the, uh -huh, the bear, bear finally, finally makes, makes it. We see sense. the men in the village. One of the only scenes we see with just the male community prepping the bear with Christian on the side sitting on a wheelchair, watching them all do it, still in neurotoxin hell. He will be in neurotoxin hell until he dies. Um, and he is put inside the bear carcass and brought into the temple. And yes, this is, I mean, again, we talked about this in the last episode. You're never going to be confused about where fables are going to go because they tell you from the beginning. Danny was always going to stare down the bear and she was always going to win. If you looked up the trick tip of these John Bear paintings, it is a broken woman weeping at um, a lake. It is the 
little girl woman staring out the bear and then it is the woman walking away with the new prince um now a queen right now agency of her own so then um the two other men not christian are given so ingamar the other dude um are given a sap and they're told that they won't feel pain john what would the narrator say <laughs> they did <laughs> <laughs> Um, and the entire thing is lit on fire and Danny's watching from a distance and the community is singing. And at this point, the music is purposefully really uplifting. It's these horns. It's like, dun, 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 like it's happening. Like, um, and then Ingomar and that other dude who have been promised they won't feel pain start to actually be burned alive and they start screaming. And interestingly enough, the community screams with them very similar to how the women grieved with Danny, right? Mm -hmm. And Danny wails with them, right? And I've seen a lot of interpretations that this was her wailing about her decision of sacrificing Christian. 100% disagree with that. This is her officially becoming one with her new community, right? She's like dragging that headdress and that flower dress. And she's like doing the communal wailing. But while they're still wailing, while they're still grieving with the screams of their people in that sacrificial temple, Danny turns, looks at the temple, and does um, what I think is one of the most powerful closing scenes in a film ever. Um, it starts almost as an, ob she's like observing it burn. She stops the screaming, the communal stuff, and we see a bit of a Mona Lisa smile, right? So we're not even sure she's, she's smiling. She's just taking it in. And then it's like she understands that she's free. She's free of Christian. She's free of the trauma of having been orphaned. She's free of the capitalistic, individualistic community that is the American lifestyle. She has a family now. She has a purpose in this life. And the, the entire scene, the entire film ends with her actually smiling with her teeth. And then scene. And um, she has effectively defeated the bear. So how do you feel at the end of watching that? It's, I mean, look, the film has a lot of specific messages, right? And it's, it's a, it's a mind film in so many ways. And, but if you are rooting for women in a way, there's a person to root for in this film. It's a twisted way of rooting, but it's there. Right. And for the, and, and I feel like I, and I've done this significantly for everyone who's like, I really feel for Christian and for at least Josh and definitely Connie and Simon. I'm like, first off, please understand that in fairy tales, um, most characters are meant to symbolize things bigger than themselves. Right. Uh, and two, they're also meant to symbolize um, the things that we struggle to speak to. Right. So, so Josh is, is privilege and colonization, right? Um, we've got, we've got Christian as like toxic masculinity and, um, and the, the frigidness of an individualistic society, right? We've got, we've got Mark with, um, not only rape culture, but like, um, this, again, this certain type of toxic masculinity that doesn't serve us and doesn't serve anyone and so um with connie and simon i just don't know man 
I just don't know. We don't get their story, and that's by by design. Um, but I love this film. Collateral damage at this point. We don't know. I mean, I'm I'm sure that if the lenses were turned elsewhere, we would know what they symbolize in this fable. Um, but I just think it's a wonderful kind of, and I I know this is, um, and I've said this since from the beginning. It's a strange way to to really kind of talk about this film, but this is a fairy tale redemption story for grief and pain. And I think it does its job beautifully start to finish. So Marcy loves you, this film. I love this film. Are you ready for our next one, which is not one, not in the light, two, really dark, and three also sits in that weird kind of fable place. Uh, which one is this one? Our next film is going to be uh Jordan Peels Us. Ah. Let's do it. Thanks everyone for joining us for this episode of Pop Culture Theologians in this part two of Midsummer. Join us uh, in a bit, in a fortnight, for our breakdown of Millennial Women of Horror with Jordan Peele's Us. See ya.